you got to trust me this morning because what I'm going to preach is not something that I pick to preach. There are times when a preacher goes to a pulpit and hopes he heard from the Lord. There are times he hopes the Holy Ghost has directed him. There's been times I preached so mad I didn't even know if I had the Holy Ghost. Then there's times where a man of God will know. I have zero doubt in my mind that the Lord spoke to me this week. And I may be preaching to one person. One person. I've done that before. I've preached to one person. I was, oh, there was a couple hundred there, but I knew I was preaching to one. But I'm going to get in my car, and when I leave this church, I'm going to know that I spoke what the Lord told me to speak. Now, you'll have to bear with me because the greatest liberty I've ever stepped into as a preacher was pastoring because I say whatever I want and they're going to come back hopefully. When I was evangelizing, I lived under this constant pressure wanting to be invited back. You're always trying out every service. And when I got elected, I remember the first few services, I'd be in the middle of preaching and the thought would come into my mind, you get to come back. You can say whatever you want to say, and you get to come back. And so I have removed the filter, and I say whatever I want to say. So if something strikes you, I don't care if I get invited anywhere to preach. I got a pulpit to preach in. And so if I say something today, just know that I forewarned you. Amen. First Samuel chapter 8. Give honor once again to the leadership of this church. My family sends their regards. I love this church. I love this pastor and his family. Brother Landon, Sister Sarah. Once again, so many great memories. We're going to walk through this rather rapidly. Skipping through verses. Just, just hang with me. First Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. It came to pass when Samuel was old. That he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways. But turned aside after lucre. And took bribes and perverted judgment. And all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together. And came to Samuel unto Ramah. Said unto him behold thou art old. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the king, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that, that, that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since that, that since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them 
the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Skipping to verse 19, after Samuel talked about what the king would do and what it would be like, it says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people. He rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go ye every man unto his city. I'm telling you, the Lord has spoke to me, woke me up at five something this morning, which is the Holy Ghost at five something in the morning. These notes are so hot, I should be wearing gloves touching this iPad right now. But this is what the Lord spoke to me in prayer. I'm going to preach today. The high cost of a free king. The high cost of a free king. Would you lift your hands to heaven? Father, in the name of Jesus, I feel the witness of the Holy Ghost. God, I'm coming today with an agenda from on high to help someone understand who they are and whose they are. I pray, God, that you would speak plainly and expressly today. God, open our hearts that we could hear the word of the Lord. Open our hearts, God, that we could obey the word of the Lord. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say in the church. In Jesus' name, can we clap our hands right now and give him praise? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. The high cost of a free king. The word of God reads like a story. But it is far from just a story. It's not the figment of some man's imagination. And to say it is fictitious would be the greatest of all lies. Woven throughout the pages of this holy writ is a narrative that can only be understood by revelation. It's a tale of redemption. For you see, the culprit of sin destroyed the relationship between the creator and his creation. And the fall of mankind was the result of disobedience. But beyond that, it was the separation of a holy communion, a fellowship, a relationship. I want to pause right here and remind you that God never designed religion. God designed relationship. It's not the will of God for your religion to supersede or replace your relationship with the Lord. Now, religion has the ability to enhance your relationship. It provides you opportunity to grow stronger and closer to the Lord. But it should never be what replaces a daily relationship with God. This is what I tell people. Before I am a Pentecostal, before I am an apostolic, I am a Christian. They were first called Christians at Antioch. They were not called Pentecostals. They were not called apostolics. 
They were called Christians. And this is what the book says. It says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, I don't want to mess with your theology, but I'm going to tell you how it's going to work. God gave a book called the Bible. And we are to judge ourselves against this word. And if we see areas that we fall short, then we ought to make corrections to be in alignment with the word of God. Now, everybody is going to be judged by the book. Everybody. The difference is, when will you be judged? You can take the steps down here to judge yourself against this book and make it in the rapture. Or you can stand at the throne of God and still be judged by the same book. But the difference is it's going to be too late when you make it to that judgment. So I choose today to judge myself against the truth of this word. I choose today to make my calling and my election sure. Because that relationship was broken. The redemptive process was started. So in short, we could say that this book in its purest form is a book of redemption. Woven throughout every page, you're going to find redemption. You're going to find God trying to bring his people back to him. You're going to find God extending that arm and that hand of mercy, slowly putting the pieces of the puzzle in place. So he establishes a covenant with Abraham. He changes a Jacob into an Israel. Shifting little by little his people. Getting them into a place where he raises Moses up to deliver them out of Egypt which represented the world. Conveying who he was throughout Leviticus. You see, if you want to find out who God is, you got to find out what he likes and dislikes. See, we got too much of this God as a goosebump thing. In fact, the Jewish, in in, in the Jewish culture, when they would teach their children uh, who God was, they would read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and they would put a drop of honey on each page. And so when they finished the page, they would taste that honey. That's why the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But what they were trying to teach their children is that the word of the Lord is sweet like honey. It's not something that you got to live in fear that God is going to beat you over the head. But you got to find out who he is. We got to get beyond a feeling and start looking at the facts. This is what God likes. This is what God does not like. He lays out the plan so precise for a tabernacle so his people could worship. The Lord speaks to Moses, giving instruction to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. 
And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. And on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware to thy fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not and wells digged which thou diggest not vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not when thou shalt have eaten and be full. When I bring you into a place that you didn't have to work for. When you walk into a church that your prayers didn't build. Then he says, beware. Lest thou forget the Lord. Which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage. God help us. Lest we forget who it is that brought us where we're at. Good music didn't get us here. Fancy preaching did not get us here. But there's a God in heaven that by his mercy and by his power, with a strong arm, he brought us to this place. You ought to clap your hands right now. God saw what the future held. Thus he tried to warn them about the danger that lurked in the shadows. He wanted to be their all in all, their king, their strong tower, their deliverer. Thus many times you'll find uh, Moses repeatedly telling, hey, he's a jealous God. He's not going to play second fiddle. Either he's God of all or he's not God at all. He wanted their affection. He wanted their attention. And so because he was their king, his patience many times was displayed as they would rise up in affection toward him. And then they'd slide back down. And start worshiping false gods. And he would raise up a judge. He would raise up one who could step into their life and bring them back to center. All the while, God was still their king. Men of God came and went. But God was still their king. As you can see, there are so many parallels between Israel and the church. For God called us just like Israel out of Egypt. God filled us with his spirit. God bathed us in his blood. And Hebrews 8 and 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws into their mind. I'll write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people. But because all we like sheep have gone astray. God says, I need to put a man in their life. I need to put a voice 
in their life. This is why Paul said, how shall they hear without a preacher? God loved Israel so much and wanted them saved so bad. He put a voice in their life to tell them what they needed to hear. And God loves you so much that he puts voices in your life to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. My friend, you ought to thank God that you got a voice that will speak into your life. I'm going somewhere. Samuel was well respected. Seasoned prophet of the Lord. His two sons didn't walk in those ways. He appointed them as judges. And God had already proven just a couple couple chapters before that he could handle people in leadership that aren't acting right. It's called Hophni and Phinehas. And God was saying, hey, I realize that men are men and they're not perfect. But as long as I can be king over you, I'll deal with all of my leaders how I want to deal with them. But here's what happened. They got mad. They rose up. But this time it was different. This time they said, give us a king that can judge us. Hold it. There never been a point up until here where they wanted to replace the king. But now, It had been a slow progression that filtered through. And now they didn't want to just replace the man. They wanted to replace the king. All this time, there were different judges. But there was one king. But now their eyes begin to wander. And they begin to look at the world. They begin to look at other churches. You see, when your eyes are looking at everyone else, you have little patience in your present circumstance. Instead of letting God fix your situation, you want to change it yourself. Now I'm fixing to unload here. That's why people with troubled marriages, whereas you once wanted to work things out at home, now because you're looking elsewhere, you want to just bolt. You don't have as much patience at home. Ooh, y'all didn't know I was going to hit that. Whereas you once wanted to work it out. But now that you got your eyes on somebody else, You don't want to work it out no more because something else got your affection. I snuck that one in on y'all. When your eyes are fixed on somewhere else, you're not nearly as patient in your present circumstance because something else got your affection. And God saw 
that they forgot that they were people of Jehovah. They represented his kingdom. They were the precursor to the church. Can I tell you, we are people of the name. We are the church. We are God's chosen people. Yet I found people throughout life who were ready to swap their allegiance because they didn't like what they saw in ministry. Let me just, let me just say this. People are people. And people are dissatisfied. You got big people wanting to be little and little people wanting to gain weight. You got ladies with straight hair that want it curly and ladies with curly hair that want it straight. You got people with light skin that want to be dark and people with dark skin that want to be light. You got... People that fish from the bank throw as far out as they can. People that fish from the boat throw as close to the bank as they can. Things don't make sense. But there's a danger in dissatisfaction. There's peril that comes when people aren't pleased. Because they start looking. Well, I think it needs to be done like this. Let me tell you what I've learned in pastoring. I've been pastor almost four years. And four years ago, I could tell you how to grow a church. I had to wait, a delayed reaction. But I went in there thinking I knew it all. And the longer I pastor, I find out how little I know. Because I could say one thing, and this isn't about my church, this is about people. I could say one thing, and there's 200 interpretations. I say one thing, and I know how I meant it. And there's times I'll be in the middle of preaching and I don't need somebody to tell me I said something dumb. Before I finished my message, I knew. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. Because the Lord has a way of dealing with his leaders. Now I'm being gentle. I got kid gloves on right now. But I know what the Holy Ghost has spoke to me. There's been many a people Many people that walked away and changed kings, not because of the king, but because of the man. They let their vision become distorted. And can I tell you, God's never done anything wrong to you. God's never messed you up anyway. Now, you may not understand what God's doing, but God's never hurt you. God's never done anything wrong to you. You can't let your dissatisfaction with leaders mess with your allegiance to the Lord. There's things, there's things about pastoring. Evangelizing was easy. I just didn't know it. It was easy. When I left that parking lot, I left. 
gone. But now I don't leave. I could be on the other side of the world and I'm still there in my mind. That's just, and I'm not complaining. That's the call of, of pastoring and God gives you grace for the calling. When the calling lifts, the grace lifts. And that's why you only see the inconvenience, whereas you once didn't see the inconvenience. But you've got to understand, I, I, I know there's times that people would say, I don't know why he don't deal with this. I don't know why he won't do something. I don't know why he, I can't believe. And I would be praying, going, God, I just want to give mercy. I just want to give mercy. I've literally lost people because I gave people mercy. But I'm not going to stand before God and be guilty of pulling a sword before I pulled out mercy. Hey, friend, you don't know what God will work out in a situation if you just let God, God and mercy have its way in a circumstance. God told Samuel, they are rejecting you. If all they wanted was a new judge, we could say they're rejecting you. But they didn't say that. They said they want a king like everybody else. So now they've stepped into another realm, Samuel. Now they're rejecting me. He said, you hearken unto them. And you, he said, he said, giving them a king ain't no problem. But you better tell them what it's going to be like. If they swap their allegiance, my friend, when a preacher gets up here and opens his heart and begins to plead with you about the direction you're going, that is the extension of God's mercy because you will never stand before God and say, I didn't know. God's going to say, you tell them what it's going to be like. I've come today under the mandate of the Holy Ghost. I've come to tell somebody that this thing's just going to happen because there's a high cost associated with a free king. First thing it's going to affect, it's going to affect your covering. God made a covenant with Israel that he would bless them, that he would keep them, that he would protect them if they walked in his ways. But listen what, listen what Samuel told him. He said, this king's gonna take your fields, your vineyards, your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. God was their covering. He was their prosperity. Everything they had was associated with the land that they possessed. And if they failed to obey, the curse of God would be upon them. And people have taken what God has blessed them with for granted. We think that we deserve it because we're faithful to God. You don't deserve anything. We deserve eternal punishment. It's what we deserve. Everything that has stepped into our life or we have stepped into is an extension of God's mercy and God's grace, not God's approval. See, in the Old Testament, they had what they called cities of refuge. Here's how it worked. If you were in trouble, if you were being chased for for something that you did, whatever, and, and you were running to a city of refuge, then that city was under obligation to start to defend you and fight for you and protect you. And you could go in that city and you could live the rest of your life and you were covered from the attack of your enemy. 
But if you started growing restless, you felt like you were too confined. You didn't like all the rules. And you decided, I'm tired of this. I'm leaving. It did not matter if your enemy was sitting outside the wall waiting for you. That city was under no obligation to defend you. Same city, same army. You know the difference was? Direction. And when you're coming to God, God will fight. God will defend. Hey, there's a lot. That's what I tell my church. I got a lot of mercy out here. I got a lot of mercy because we're trying to make our way to God. We're trying to come to an altar. We're trying to draw closer to God. But let me tell you when you lose your protection. Let me tell you when you lose your covering. When you start saying there's too many rules. I don't like this and I don't like that. And you start walking away from God. Then you lose your protection and your covering. You know what I don't understand? How you take somebody who doesn't know anything about this. And they come and get the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name, fall in love with the Lord. It doesn't matter if he tells them to take a 24-hour precious standing on their head spitting BBs. They're going to do it. You can't tell them enough stuff to do because they're on their way to God. But you get somebody 20 years in it, do we have to do this? Do we have to? What they want to do is tell me the least I got to do to make it to heaven. Tell me the minimum I got to do. That's what I want to do. You know the difference? Direction. One of them's coming to God. And the other one's going from God. You know the same thing was being said 20 years ago. And one time they were happy about it. The next time 20 years later they're mad about it. But the pastor's still preaching the same thing that he's preached the whole 20 years. The difference is direction. So you got that covering. You cannot put a price tag on the covering of God. Then here we go. Touch your neighbor and say it's fixing to get tight. If it hadn't already got tight, I'm fine up here. It's going to affect your finances. Watch this. He said, and he will take the tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. Hold it. Hold it. Let's, let's look at Leviticus. It says in 2730, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. So now what you were given to God, you're going to start giving to the world. And when you do that, curse is coming back on your finances. Some people say, well, I can't afford to tithe. Well, let me just say it like this. You can't afford not to tithe. In the Old Testament, 
If you didn't give the, that first, that first link, then you had to take a donkey and kill it. It's the law of the broke neck donkey. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. Either way, it was going to cost you. You could give it to God and be blessed, or you could give it to the world and be cursed, but you was going to lose it either way. And people want to hold on. So you come in this world grasping, wanting. When you leave this world, all your kids are going to sell everything you got for pennies on the dollar. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. That's why estate sales are so big. All that stuff that you had to have, all your kids want is the money. I told my dad, I said, if you'd sell all this stuff, it would save me a lot of time whenever you die. I know it's probably cold-hearted. But I'm going to just say it like this. If you don't tithe, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. And then every time you come to the altar, you've got to repent for being a thief. Because this is what the Bible, now I'm in the book, I'm not making this up. It says, will a man rob God? Yeah, ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In other words, where have we robbed you, God? He said, all right, I'm going to tell you. In tithes and offering. Let's stop right there. If all you do is pay tithes, you're not a giver, you're a returner. You're not a giver. You're just returning what was, what was given to you. You want to be a giver, you've got to start giving offerings. See, we want the blessings of God that other people that are big givers get. Giving is a principle, and it's not confined to apostolics or Pentecost. It's a word of God. That's why businesses grow in the world. It's because there's a principle called you reap what you sow, and they understand the principle. So the more they give, the more they reap. That doesn't mean they're saved. That's not a salvation principle that you got to give a lot to be saved. But we want to tithe and then wait on the blessings of God. Because you gave what was already God's. Now, God honors the obedience of tithing. He blesses the obedience of tithing. But he blesses the offering or the gift out of a willing heart, the amount. All right, now we say, we say, I got to hurry. My goodness. We say that God, oh, I know, but I, I can't speed like last week. I got to get, I got to drive a little softer, slower this week. We say that God blesses the amount we give. Time out. God blesses the amount you give in proportion to what you already have. Because I could give, if I've got $500 in my bank account and I give $250 and that's all I have to my name, I gave half. But if I got 100000 in my bank account, and which I don't happen, but I'm just hypothetically, and I'm not, you know, whatever. If I give $250, I didn't even give a fraction. I didn't even give 1%. I didn't give 1%. So God does bless the amount, but he blesses the amount of what you give in proportion to what you already possess. 
So if you want to be blessed and have your, have your amount blessed, then you've got to challenge God in your giving. You remember, we talked about when I came here, one of the greatest offerings I've ever seen was at this church. How many was here when we took up that huge offering? Like seven of us. That's good. That was about all that was there. But that, that night, what nobody knows is all day long that day, I had prayed and God said, tonight you're supposed to take up a sacrificial offering. And I said, Lord, it's Wednesday night. Which is not a bad thing, but that's not your most populated night. If you're going to cast a net, you want to make sure it's a full pond. And I remember, I remember saying, God, I'll do it. All day long I prayed. I said, I'll do it, but I'm going to talk to Brother Hughes first, thinking he would be my out. And I remember walking to his office back there, and I said, Brother Hughes, I feel like tonight the Lord wants me to take up a sacrificial offering. And his eyes grew about twice as big. And he said, well, it's Wednesday night. Like, I know, I've been telling God all day it's Wednesday night. And he said, but you do whatever the Lord wants you to do. And I walked in here, and it looked like a bomb scare. I mean, I could have threw a grenade and not killed anybody. (laughs) And I remember on this side, walking back and forth in that old sanctuary, going, God, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. you got to give me something to preach. you got to give me something to preach. And on the way to the pulpit, the Lord said, I told you what to preach this morning. And I got up here, and I preached on the spirit of sacrifice. And I remember preaching, saying, it would surprise me if we took up a $100,000 offer here tonight. And as soon as I said it, I went, what are you doing? There's nobody here. And I was just panicking, but I was committed. And I remember that night, he said, let's, let's go eat. It was just me and him when we got in his truck. Going to Jason's Deli. We wasted that meal. Went to Jason's Deli. I remember being sick to my stomach going, I just want to get out of here. I'm a false prophet. I just want to get out of here. But from that one service, not counting what was given before I got here that I didn't know about, over $162,000 from that one service because God said tonight is the night. Listen to me. What would happen if God's people said, you know what, I'm going to stop giving my money to everything in the world and start funneling it through the kingdom of God? i tell you what would happen. The blessings of God in such a manner that you have never seen before. Be seated. Be seated. Let me tell you the third thing it's going to affect. It's going to affect your family. Because this is what the king's going to do. He told them. He said, you tell them that king's going to take their sons and make them warriors. He's going to take their daughters and make them cooks and confectionaries. He's going to take all their servants. He's going to take, it's going to affect everything if they want to turn their allegiance to that king. When they opened the door to the king, they had no clue how far it would take them. 
Whereas they once delighted in Jehovah, now their displeasure with men caused their vision of who their king was to be tainted. And they began to mingle with the world. Don't you think for a moment, my friend, that you, that when you change kings, that your family will survive. People have walked away from truth because they believed a lie. The Bible says, because they received not a love for truth, for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. I feel the witness of the Holy Ghost right now. And I'm telling you, I'm reaching for a soul that you are on the brink of walking away from this thing because you've allowed men to taint your vision and what you didn't like. And you're fixing to mess up your whole family tree because of something that's got in you that you don't like about the church. You hear me when I tell you, this is not man's church. This is God's church. And God has a way of dealing with his own men. He doesn't need you to do it for him. Let me tell you, this is what's happening. I'm, t- I'm watching it happen. People are confusing, confusing deception as revelation. Let me help somebody. Here's how you know if you're being deceived. The Bible says that God gave this book line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. God just revealed it a little bit at a time, but everything he revealed never contradicted what was already established. And if you get this revelation, you've got to measure it up against what you already know in the truth of his word. And if it contradicts a previous revelation, it's not a revelation, it's deception. Because God's not going to lead you somewhere that contradicts where he's already brought you. But people are getting all these revelations. Got more visions than Abraham. And they, they want to spread it. The problem is it's causing chaos in the church. Everybody's got a word. Listen to me. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But we got people that are telling people stuff that's hogwash. And the pastor has to come behind him and start trying to smooth it all out. Trying to save you face from looking like a fool, like an idiot. When if you would just keep your mouth shut and measure it against the truth of this word, if it's causing confusion, if it's causing chaos, it's not of the Lord. It's not of God. Well, that's a bitter pill. You'll swallow it. Here's what the Bible says. Because they opened up the door to a king. The Bible says in Nehemiah, in, the, in those days also, saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, but could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. Started with a king. And it cost them generation after generation that were so familiar with the world that they didn't even know the language of the Jews. And I've seen people get upset at things that happen in church and leave. And they may make it back to an altar, but their kids never did.
Because they didn't know the language of the Jews. All they knew was the language of the world. Stand with me right now. There's only one throne in your heart. There's only one. And you will not see God as long as you have another king on that throne. Here's what the book says. In the year King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord. That same Jehovah of generations before, but he couldn't show himself until that one king got out of the way. You got an opportunity this morning. You got an opportunity to choose which king's going to sit on your throne. Which king's going to have your affection? Which king's going to have your loyalty? As for me and my house, I'm not going to beg you to come today, but I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I preach to somebody in the Holy Ghost. These altars are open. I want you to come if you feel it. I want you to search your heart. I want you to make sure that you've got the right king on that throne. There's a high cost when you get a free king that was willing to swap out and take your affection. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your home. It's going to affect your finances. It's going to affect your covering. It's going to affect every part of your life, ma'am or sir. I wouldn't sit there in that pew. I wouldn't let somebody else make a trip to an altar without myself going. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, God's reaching for somebody today. God's reaching for somebody today. Oh, come on. Come on. Make your way to this altar today. I'm pleading with you today. Don't walk out of here the same way that you came. But there's a God that wants to be the king in your life. He wants to be the king in everything that you're doing.